0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: One more electronic thing. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that's not exactly accurate anymore. But it's a new thing, so... um, Update It will have to be, because after all these years, I am not traveling anymore. So um, I fell down and um, broke a vertebra in my back, and suddenly my whole life turned upside down. And as I lay in my recovery, um, I thought, hmm, I don't think I should live where I live anymore. I was living up in the mountains, in the Santa Cruz mountains, and um, driving 17, and trying to hold everything together up there with a septic system and a well and all the things that it takes extra to take care of. And lying there I said, I think I need to move. So I sold my house, (laughs) and I bought a house, and got better, and um, find myself in a place that's just right, in Willow Glen. And um, it takes a little longer to get here than it did from the other place, so I apologize for being late. And it's given me a great deal to consider, as um, life does. Uh, Usually it's just little jabs and pokes of life that give us things to think about. Every now and then the big things come along. And uh, it became a very interesting um, subject to, to consider in terms of the Dharma. And it uh, made me enormously grateful for practice. Uh, I can just imagine what it would have been like if I had not um, had all these years of sitting. Because in sitting we go through so much junk, so much (laughs) hardship, so much pain, that by the time bad things or hard things happen to us, we're used to it, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and we, we know what to do with it. In sitting we accept it. We let it come and let it go. And we become so aware of how nothing stays put, even the worst things. They might even get worse than that, but they don't stay the same. Such a gift to us, I could imagine I would say, "How how could this happen to me to me, the great me? How could this happen to me?" <laughs> maybe maybe God doesn 't like me anymore <laughs> or something. I try to explain things in ways that um, really our our desperate effort to find some stability in a very unstable life. In a life in which anything can happen at any time. But it's an unnerving and disagreeable feeling if we're not used to it, to feel that uh, we might crash at any time. So we defend ourselves against it by protecting this great me. Oh, don't hurt me. It's not, I'm so good. I'm, I'm doing my very best, and so don't break my back for me. Well, it's not like that. And, in fact, it turns out to be an extremely interesting situation. And what came up for me the most were the paramitas, what you all call the paramis, Um, they're just six principles, sort of basic principles of practice. And they're all intertwined with each other, and I saw more and more how how they all depend on each other. They're um, very simple. Their generosity is the first one. And I always say generosity is the first because it opens our mind. If we're holding back in any way, then um, decide to give something, suddenly everything, the whole dynamic of our, our mind and body change. You can feel it. And so that makes practice more available to us. And the second one is the precepts, sila. I could say ethics and morality but it's deeper than that much deeper than that not killing, not stealing not lying not abusing sexuality or alcohol and drugs they seem very simple but if you go into any one of them you go deep and then vitality vigor because without that, we can't hardly do nothing. Um, it's really hard to get from point A to point B without some kind of vitality, even if it's an inner um, mind of us, even if our body is not able, our mind can be able. We don't have to let the body drag us down into that poor me state, or I can't do anything state, because we can always do something, even lift a finger. I knew a man who um, was paralyzed um, by polio, and lived in a breathing apparatus for his whole life, and yet became a very fine teacher. And continued his whole life from lying on his back in this breathing machine and meeting with people and writing books. So it's more a state of mind than a state of body. It's how we how we know ourselves as a body and appreciate ourselves as a body. The life that's flowing through us continually. This great power that opens our eyes and closes them. We don't do it. We don't breathe. It breathes us. We're being breathed. And so all of those are a piece of it. And then as I was thinking about this, Arranging my mind around it, um, I forgot what the next one is. And I thought, hmm, usually when you forget something, it's because it's really important. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to look there. <laughs> and then I remembered it's patience. Ooh. So, patience is very, very interesting because the alternative is anger. And boy, is that a temptation, especially when things go awry. And so that became my most interesting, of the paramis, that I had so much to be patient about. I couldn't make my bed, I couldn't wash my dishes, I couldn't cook the food. Uh, Somebody else had to do all of those things. And as I considered it, I realized that what I was feeling was not anger, but enormous um, embarrassment, because, you know, we're not used to receiving help. And then realizing that the other side of generosity is receiving help from others, allowing others the pleasure of giving. So important and so hard, especially, I think, well, I think for all of us, We feel like, I can do it, I can do it myself, I always have. And so we sort of try to do it and it doesn't come out very well. So graciously receiving help and just allowing what comes to come became my basic practice. We have four bodhisattva precepts in Zen. And the last one is, the Buddha way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Um, but my teacher, Koben translated it as, the Buddha way is unsurpassable. I vow to allow it. And I kept that in mind the whole time. I still keep it in mind as the way. We allow our way. (coughs) And that brings it back to the generosity part and brings in the vigor it takes a lot of vigor just to be patient, just to sit quietly and watch other people do what you've, you're used to doing. And it takes a kindness that um, brings the precepts alive also. So that instead of being a grumpy patient, you can be um, as enthusiastic and generous as possible. And that turns out to be fun. <laughs> because every, everybody then gets to be a part of something that's um, not bad. People say, oh, it must be so bad. You must feel heartbroken to lose the house. Go away. Oh, blah. But no, it's, it's really uh, invigorating. Change can be a fabulous gift, even though we don't like it at all. We want everything to be the same all the time because it's what we know, and we don't know what's going to happen next. But it's an adventure. It's a fabulous adventure, even up to the very end. That too is an adventure. What's dying like? Gosh, we don't know. We really don't know what's going to happen next. And so it takes patience and vigor and the precepts and generosity and meditation this practice that we do. And oh my gosh, what a program you all have now. I'm just, every time I come it's more. It's just amazing. And for all ages now, that's, that's terrific. As if it stops with us older people, it's pointless really. So this is the best. This is the best. And meditation itself is our teacher, our great, great teacher. Each of us carries the deepest wisdom, which is the sixth parami. Each of us is wise. Although sometimes when we're lost and bewildered, we... Pray for wisdom because we can't find it. Where do we find it? In meditation. It isn't a thought thing. We can't figure out things very well. We're good at figuring out how to make airplanes. (laughs) I always marvel at that as I watch them go over. Wow, somebody figured that out made it work and that's very smart but not necessarily wise because wisdom is lodged in our bellies and our hearts in our bodies and wisdom helps our thinking if we allow it but often we get so caught up in the intellectual side of things and we're trained so highly in the intellect uh, from very early age. Think, 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 and think right, and think hard, and think strong. And we lose the connection with the other kind of wisdom that is telling us It tells us like our breath breathes us. And this takes a lot of listening. Usually there's so much yakety yak going on in our minds that it's hard to stop and listen. And so again this meditation practice is fabulous because we do stop completely stop, in one place. And even though the yakety-yak keeps going on and on and on, if we sit with it, rather than fighting it, if we allow it, rather than trying to push it away, it becomes a much more uh, soft and quiet place. It seems strange. We think we should just shut it up. Just tell it. Go away. But as one teacher said, our thoughts are like our stomach juices. They just keep on squirting as long as we're alive. (laughs) We can't help it. (laughs) But if we try to fight them, then they're two of us. Um, the one that's having the thoughts and the one that doesn't want to have the thoughts. And then they start fighting each other and then it gets worse, worse and worse. And you sit there, go away, go away. But just to let it be. And to be where we are. This in some ways is the most essential part of it that our mind casts us out in so many different directions. And if we come back to where we are, oh, how wonderful. Nothing's happening. I was thinking, I was worried about this, and I was disturbed about that, and then I realized, oh, I'm here. Just right here. Nothing's happening. The only happening is right here. Everything else is made up. It's just a bunch of junk until we actually get there. So that's what I brought to say this day. I have a whole lot of notes. I wonder what i missed. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> well, I think that was enough. <laughs> but there must be questions, discussion.
0: thank you for this talk. It was just the one I needed this morning. I don't know how you speakers know that.
2: (laughs) Hi, could you just name the six paramitas?
1: Generosity, the precepts, vigor, patience, (laughs) meditation, and wisdom.
0: Uh, could you talk a little bit about the first one, generosity, and and what that means beyond just the sort of popular concept of giving something tangible to another person?
1: Well, it's, it's about breaking our self-concept. Um, we actually break it when we give something, truly give something away. Often we give things... Still holding on, um, either regretting it or wanting to be paid back in some way. And that's not giving. Um, I know uh, someone who studied with Pema Chodron went up to Nova Scotia and uh, sat with her for a while. And the first thing they had to do was to bring uh, something they cherished, something really precious, to offer on the altar. So everybody put something really special. She had something from her grandmother that she really loved and she put it up there. And um, they all expected to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't happen. <laughs> and Pema did a teaching about that, about how we, even though we're making offerings, that unless we're really, really doing it, it's not it. So that's probably the most important one, whether it's receiving or our own giving. It it has to be for real. Um, And it can be, and should, I think, the best is to be um, not known, to be invisible in your giving. Sort of like paying at the bridge for somebody behind you, you know. You'll never know who those people are, and they won't know you. But it's a little boost to the whole universal energy, you could say, when that happens. Something like that.
0: I wonder when you talked about generosity. For some reason, I I thought of generosity toward myself. Uh, I think I, I just have a sense that that's something that I need in my life right now, but I, I'm not sure if that falls more under compassion. Somehow just there was something in me that thought maybe there's something different with generosity toward myself, but I don't know if you have. Anything. I think
1: that's extremely important, a very, a very big subject because if we're not kind to ourselves how can we be kind to others we just can't that's where suffering is started because our our deepest need is to connect with others but if we're not connected with ourselves it's, it it's hopeless so yes yeah thank you that that's a great addition to the subject <laughs> And very, very important.
0: Yeah. Thank you for the talk. Um, I was wondering when you were talking about after you hurt yourself and how hard that was for you and what you learned from it. Uh, where does fear come into all of this? Because I was thinking that when I've been in situations like that, I've had a lot of fear that I don't quite understand. I just wondered if that fit in somewhere.
1: Uh, Oh, of course it does. (laughs) It's all very scary. (laughs) Um, I used to be scared of everything. I was scared to buy stamps in the post office, you know. I was afraid to cross the street. I don't know where all that came from, but I was just really frightened of the world and of life. And I have worked on it my whole life, of how to trust, how to trust where I am, however the situation is. Again, that word allow comes in. Just to allow it to be the way it is and not to hope for anything else. I came down with cancer many years ago and when I called my teacher to tell him, (laughs) um, first he hung up. He started crying and then he hung up. And then he called me back and said in a very firm voice, you know we all have to die. And I thought, oh man, that's so much better. I feel much better now. <laughs> of course, we all have to die. It's not that bad. <laughs> and that's when I started losing the fear. It just means gritting your teeth and saying, "Okay, this is the way it is." And then it's it's still an adventure. I mean, we don't know where we're going, we don't know what it's going to be like, but it's, it's okay. We can trust it. We can trust this, this whole thing of us, because here we are. <coughs> Amazing as it may be, it is just where we are right now.
2: Hi, thank you so much for speaking today. It was really great. Um, Really enjoyed um, your uh, airplane analogy or example. Um, I guess I'm I'm thinking about, um, you're talking about this inner wisdom and then our our brains more being like a, what seems to me like an, an instrument or tool that we kind of use to navigate around in what we perceive as time, form, space, here. <laughs> and, um, to access this inner wisdom, um, and, and you can correct anything I'm saying if it's mm-hmm. slightly off, because, um, so would you be able to give us maybe, um, an example of, of uh, maybe a time or a couple of times when you were meditating, um, and, um, we're able to kind of access this inner wisdom and link it up to your thinking, your your brain. That um, that might be too much to throw at you right now. So <laughs> you, you, can, you can pass if you want. It's an amazing question. <laughs> I'm just wondering about the the nature how it nature works of it for you.
1: Yeah, how it works. Um, I'm not sure I know how it works. Um, often making a decision I kind of know what, what I should do and sometimes I don't want to do it. And when I sit with it I don't try, try to do anything with, with the whole system. I just let the whole, whole thing cook in me. Sometimes overnight sometimes for several days if it's a big decision. And just let it come to me. So it's not, it's not a function so much of directly meditating and then some voice saying, you should do this, which would be really nice, but uh, I don't think we usually get it that way. But it's in us. The answer is always in us. And if we listen for it, and sit with it, and sleep with it, then the answer comes. And sometimes it's the answer that we don't want. You know, that it becomes very obvious that we should do something that we would rather not. And that it's the wisest thing to do. So, and it's hard to reach that just like that. The wisest thing is not always available to us directly. We have to wait for it and listen for it. But it's there. And the more we sit, I think, the more available it is, also. We just become used to uh, that kind of awareness, that, that depth of awareness that um, we don't tend to be distracted from.
0: Am I on? I would like to get back to the topic of generosity, something that came to my mind when people were sharing about that, because I was thinking about things that, sharing things that are not material, that are part of my part of my person or part of my spirit, you know, and how they're actually sometimes more private to me than a than an object. And when I have the courage to do that you can't take that back once you do that, you know. There are, gifts to, there are risks to that and gifts to that as well, for yourself as well as for the person that you share that with. And I would like to know if you have any comments about that.
1: That's a wonderful point. Um, we have, in Zen, eight, um, ten precepts. So we have five more than you do. And one of them is no withholding materials or teachings. And that's exactly what you're talking about. That if we uh, have access to our wisdom, it really is our job to share it. Um, And it takes tremendous courage to do it because it's not always well received. And... um, that's tough. That's really tough. And yet, it's our, our, our real engagement with the world requires us to be open and to share our truth. And to trust, even though everybody is calling us names and telling us we're wrong. Some of the best things that happen, happen when people just stand up to it. One of the first things I ever did when I moved to the Bay Area was to join a little group of people who didn't want PG&E to put high-tension poles across the face of the mountains. And... um, It was just a tiny little group, but they stood up to PG&E. They stood up to everybody, and stopped it. And PG&E agreed to hide the power poles back behind the mountain so that there would be something beautiful for people to see from here. It just took a few people standing up to all the great powers to change that. And I was so impressed. Um, and impressed with the people who were able to do that they just were so determined that they were right and that turned into the committee for green foothills and that turned into the mid Peninsula open space district so just from a few really upset people you know who felt they had a truth and a wisdom that wasn't being recognized, and they just pulled it out of the community. They pulled the truth out of the community and made it work. So it's always possible. But you have to be able to take a lot of blows. Uh, It's not always the friendliest thing to do because um, not everybody agrees, ever. I wanted to thank you for the, the talk that you've brought. Um, your journey, uh, my journey, parallels yours over the past years or so. Oh. And so I was sitting here amazed, <laughs> like you've been, been reading my mail or whatever. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. and. Um, Also, I had a a thought about, when you were talking about allowing, uh, the idea of equanimity came to me, and I would wondered if you'd say something about a connection, or if there is one. Um, That is the same. It's the same thing. We can't be equanimous if we're not allowing what's happening to happen. So that's, they're connected completely. Yeah.
0: Well, I wanted to echo the, uh, the appreciation for the talk this morning, and um, just what the previous person was saying about I'd never really connected allowing With generosity before. And I think I made that connection this morning and it was enlightening. Thank you. (laughs) Good, you're welcome. I'm not speaking to you as much as everyone else and this honestly does take a lot of courage (laughs) because I'm the one who's making announcements about let us get involved or do something to try to make the world better but it was a beautiful story you said about the people that you joined when you first came here Mm. and I just hope that people will think about in their own little soul what is something that they recognize could be improved about this world and and take that step yeah. we really have so many challenges deep needs deep deep needs yes and i love this community but sometimes it breaks my heart <laughs> That there's a lot of us who are retired or have more time and we come here, and then we go home. And that thing of generosity has to do with our own time also. Mm -hmm. So,
1: yeah, thank you. Well, that's a very good point. Um, That's one that I've been thinking about now that I've signed off of traveling. Um, I suddenly, you know, that was seven week-long retreats a year that I won't be going to. And um, I'm going to be having, once I get moved, (laughs) I'm still in the middle of boxes in my new house, Um, I'm, I'm going to look for something that I can do. I always felt so badly. Sometimes someone would come and talk about that, Well, Beth, for instance, who comes from Cambodia and talks about her enormous effort to help people over there. And I think, oh, I wish I could do something like that, but I don't have time. And I really didn't have time, but now I think, ha, I could do something too. I could do a, a kitchen place or a... Food collection place, or a coaching kids place, or there are innumerable things that one can do where the need is great and where the separation between us, us nice, sort of middle class, hopefully um, making it people, can offer something of that to others. So thank you for that. That's that's beautiful.
2: Um, so um, you were talking about.
0: Finding that that wisdom and sharing that, even if people tell you that you're wrong and and um, things like that, but on the other side, there's this um, a lot of people have uh, different ideas of what's what's their wisdom versus somebody else's wisdom that that doesn't. Uh,
1: I don't mm-hmm. know. So,
0: Avoiding, I guess, can you speak to avoiding shoving that down people's throats? Probably. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah I, I, that isn't what I meant, <laughs> obviously. Um, but it's the opportunity to dance with people. Disagreeing can be very painful if we take possession of our ideas or our wisdom, even, that we might know that we're right in our own heart. But if we're meeting somebody else who doesn't know that, we can either argue with them and become so passionate that anger comes in, or we can dance with it, and accept the other's uh, disagreement, and find their wisdom. And take that in. And say it back to them. And hope that they'll say it back to you. So then it becomes nobody's possession. It's just in between. And you can enjoy it. That's the best. We're not very skillful with that. I think we need to practice that a lot. But it's perfectly possible. It's not even that hard. You. Yeah. Maybe be last
0: question. you mentioned that, you know, we spend all our time, or I spend all my time, thinking about what hasn't happened or what has happened, or lose track of <coughs> right here, and I find that. If that were the job to do, just by myself, I'm perfectly adequate to do that. But every once in a while, I can come back to what's right here. And then I find that I'm spending all my time with people. And the people I talk with aren't right here. They're what hasn't happened yet, or what happened a long time ago, or what may never happen. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard time knowing how to walk that line.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I find that too. That we're all so, uh, especially now. I think everyone is so um, anxious. I oh, see it on the faces as we walk around the streets. Everyone is anxious, and that's the form that anxiety takes. So the more, or the the more equanimous you can be the more able you are to accept things as they are, including them and their chatter, um, the more they will feel it. And if you can just bring your practice, not verbally at all, and not in any kind of um, thoughty kind of way, but just with loving kindness, be there with them. Be there with their anxiety. And see how you can help. Well, this has been a very wonderful meeting. I thank you all.